Business and Buckets, we are live, episode 88 coming at you on this beautiful Monday uh, Monday morning. Um, getting packed up, getting ready to head to the 406, which is Montana. I'll be there for a month, uh, courtesy to see some family, uh, some good friends, some childhood friends, and just have some fun in the sun. I'm ready for some sun, man. It's been a, a gloomy June and gloomy early summer here in Seattle, so Go get some sun. Go get on those beautiful lakes in Montana. But um, wanted to shoot this before I left so we could get an early pod in. Recap in a fucking insane UFC Austin card. Uh, this past weekend, got to watch my angels do some work here in Seattle. Mike Trout, the GOAT, going yard five times and four games. I mean, you can't write that shit up as an Angels fan. And uh, yeah, so... Uh, lots to talk about. We got a massive, massive game three in NHL tonight. Go, Avs, go. But let's talk field supplements. If it's not broken, why fix it? That's the inspiration behind field supplements' newest product, creatine monohydrate. So why take creatine? Well, creatine monohydrate is one of the most well-researched and effective natural supplements available for increasing muscle performance. Creatine enhances performance by supplying a pool of ATP, which acts as the muscle tissue's primary energy source for fuel during explosive bursts of energy, power, and strength. It comes with 100 servings. It's non-GMO, gluten-free, safe, and effective. You guys know the deal. Use code BUCKETS for a discount at fueledsupplements.com. Promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. Now, we're going to jump right into it, and we're going to start with fights because, in my opinion, this Saturday was the best fight night card of the year, the best card of the year over UFC London. I mean, everything is bigger in Texas. Sheesh. I mean, golly. Um, I had put some parlays down this weekend trying to win some house money as I head to Vegas for UFC 276 for the Dirty 30. But, uh, yeah, I didn't do too well. Um, just missed a couple things. I mixed in some baseball, mixed in some soccer. Even I, I tried to, I went bigger, you know, go bigger, go home. But, um, I wasn't able to watch the fights live because I was in a doubleheader action watching Mike Trout hit home run, a game winning home run game, one of the doubleheader and basically winning and putting the team back on his back in game two. And I didn't want to be the guy on my phone. So, I had gone to a game previously. It wasn't the Angels. I was on the phone watching 275 because it's pay-per-view. I can't go back and watch it. But the perks of ESPN Plus, I could come back and watch it. I came home after the doubleheader, poured a little poured a little drink, and I said, let's go. And I was at my house by myself just having a fucking grand old time because I could only imagine the energy in Austin, Texas for this banger. Before we recap the weekend and preview this weekend's upcoming fight night, though, there has been some, some headlines around the world of MMA. In the UFC, Jessica Andrade is stepping in against Manon Firo. Chukagian is out. I'm assuming that's injury-related. Chukagian is badass and usually doesn't pull out, so it has to be something you know of uh, pretty extreme circumstances. Although not official, Aljamain Sterling versus TJ Dillashaw being finalized. Um, and this really makes sense because they have officially booked Jose Aldo 
and um, Rob Deshwili for UFC 278. That's official. That's going to be fun. And I think the UFC did right. I like this matchup. Um, you know, it's a tough matchup for Aldo, honestly, with the wrestling Marab has. Uh, but he's clearly a better striker in my book. But TJ deserved the title shot. But Aljo now wants to get paid more, you know, deservedly so. And supposedly if somehow Henry Cejudo can make a quick turnaround, he's willing to uh, potentially fight Henry instead of TJ. I'm saying it's going to be TJ. Aljo's just trying to do what he can to get, you know, make that bank. And hey, everyone deserves to make that bank in that kind of sport. It's vicious. So um, I'm, I'm going to be super pumped to see that fight. That's going to be one hell of a fight. Potentially um, the winner of that fighting Henry, a rematch of Henry TJ, or the Aldo Deshwili, uh champion uh, winner. We also have Song Yadong versus Corey Sanhagen being finalized in the bantamweight division. What a banger that's going to be. Um, other than that, <clears throat> um, obviously, Yuri Prashaka just won UFC 275. We recapped that last weekend. But I'm seeing a lot of things going around the internet, uh, Twitter of most places, that everyone thinks Yuri would wax John Jones. John Jones had left light heavyweight due to Dominic Reyes, Yuri, these types of dudes. Um, I'm sorry, but John Jones would wax Yuri. Um, the lack of wrestling and the length that John has over Glover. I think would be a brutal matchup for him. Stylistically, now, would it be, you know, a second-round knockout? Probably not. It'd probably be a, a unanimous decision victory by John Jones. But the length, the speed, the unorthodox of both fighters would be a ton of fun. Must-see TV. But I'm going with my boy John Jones. I don't want to hear any of that bullshit nonsense. <clears throat> not too much surprising here. Uh, Zabit actually officially retiring from MMA at 31 years old, right in the middle of his prime. I mean, a guy that was just running through the UFC. Bummer to see, but I mean, he has been inactive for a long time. Let's see. <coughs> Zabit. Magomed Sharipov, or however the hell you say his name. He was on his way. I mean, he's 31 years old. He hasn't fought since November of 2019, so working on three years. He beat Calvin Cater, unanimous decision, who was right in the mix of the featherweight championship. Jeremy Stevens, uh, he was in foreign promotion, so he only had two, four, six UFC fights, but he had climbed up the ranks quite quickly. He would have been right in the line for a title shot, right in the mix in the featherweight division. Um, but yeah, he's officially retiring from the MMA, so... You know, uh, best wishes to Zabit in his, in his uh, future. We'll break down this fight coming up, but Eddie Wineland officially retiring the old WEC vet, um, a guy that's fought numerous times all over in different promotions. What a career for Mr. Eddie Wineland, so salute to you. Uh, but it, it was time. And then because Austin was such a banger, all finishers for UFC Austin getting bonuses, what a fucking card. What a fucking night. And deservedly so. 50K going around. I would love to see that happen more often. And the UFC Dana White says this is the most profitable event uh, with six, round, uh, six first round knockouts and tying the record for seven finishes. I mean, I knew Saturday and I was like, oh, at least I'll be able to cruise through this pretty quickly because it was first round, first round, second round, first round. It was fucking just... More than you could ever imagine in one night. That's all I can say. And vicious, vicious in Texas. 
Elsewhere, Greg Hardy signing with Bare Knuckle uh, BKFC. That'll be interesting to see the big man. He's a vicious, scary human being going out there and throwing without the gloves. Vince McMahon out as the WWE CEO. He is passing the reins on to his daughter. So it'll be interesting to see how things change. I'm not a big WWE guy, but that's a big headline as he's been, um, you know, dominating that since I've been a little little kid. Uh, Bellator 282 this Friday. Some interesting fights on the bout. We got ex-UFC Kat Zingano taking on Pam Sorensen. Brett Primus, another ex-UFC guy, taking on Alexander Shabli. Magomed Magomedov taking on Enrique Barzola. And Gegard Musasi taking on Johnny Eblen. Obviously the main event, the big name here, Gregard Masasi. A lot of people think that he could compete in the UFC. He's kind of like a Michael Chandler. Um, so we'll see what he can do here um, as he you know, continues his reign in Bellator. Kat Zingano, some other fun names there. If you want to get a little bit of action before Saturday's UFC Fight Night card. So let's talk UFC Austin. Holy shit, what a card. Uh, on my picks, I went 7-4 and four on the card. And we're going to start right in the prelims. I got this fight wrong right out the gate. This busted my parlays early, so I didn't have to stress too much. But we had Roman Dolidzi with a first-round knockout over Kyle Dacus. And wow, man. That's really all I can say to a lot of these. I mean, they didn't last long. There's not a lot to break down. You know, this fight didn't get going much, like a lot of fights on this card. Uh, Roman was relentless with the pressure on Dacus, which I think caught Dacus a little, little off guard. And he was able to get him in a clinch up against the cage and land this massive knee, the hip flexibility to get his knee in a standing clinch all the way to the head. And it sounded like a melon had popped. I mean, it was brutal, brutal knockout. Um, very impressive by Delidzi. And, you know, this was usually something that would get knockout of the night, performance of the night, easy fight night bonus. The benefit for all the finishers is they got paid anyways. Uh, but this really set the tone for a psycho, chaotic night in Austin, Texas. Got the energy going. Got the flow going. Um, and the, the rest of the fighters had to live up to that knockout. You want to get paid, you got to outdo that, right? Because uh, these guys, when you know, this is the first fight in the prelims. Good quality fighters. That's why we're talking about it. Massive knockout finish. The other guys are not even warming up. They're heading to the arena. They're seeing this. They're getting the updates on Bleacher Report or whatever. This is a tone setter. Roman DeLizzi. God damn. Uh, statistically, this one only took 10 total strikes, eight significant with two knockdowns for Roman compared to Kyle's five total and four significant strikes. Now, DeLizzi is on a two-fight winning streak and is 4-2 and two in the UFC. Meanwhile, Kyle starts a new losing streak and is 1-2 and two with that no contest with Kevin Holland with the accidental headbutts mixed in in his last four fights. So he's 1-2-1, and one, basically. What's next for these young men? I think I would love to see Kyle take on Julian uh, Marquez, who ended up losing. We'll break him down later. Um, and maybe for Roman, Nick Maximov or Andre Petrosky. I think those fighters make sense. He's on his way up. Uh, not a lack of depth in this division. So you watch the first fight. You know, I'm, I'm getting notifications at uh, T-Mobile Park where the, the Mariners and Angels were going down. I'm like, damn, okay. I saw that my guy Phil Haas is coming up. And Phil Haas usually delivers some fights, man. And he's taking on Darren Wynn, <clears throat> who we talked about last week in a train with Phil. They had wrestled. 
at the same JUCO or uh, D2 school, they have they, they are familiar with themselves, right? Uh, Duran Wynn's one of the guys that trains closely with DC as well. Will fill motherfucking Haas with a second round knockout over Darren Wynn. We went one and one so far on the card with this one. And this fight just kept this chaotic pace that went down in Austin, boy. I mean, this was a little reminiscent of Chandler uh, taking on Gaethje. The story here for me, though, how impressive Haas looked. I've been impressed with Haas since Dana White Contender Series. He has the length. He has the size. He looks like a fucking specimen. And he just has moves that you don't, you know, practice. Like flying knees, spinning elbow. He'll do whatever you need. Um, but he was able to add to his game. Um, also, though, on the other side, how about Daron wins durability? Golly, that man will not get out of the octagon. Take insane shot after insane shot. I was just impressed. And he still had some like second wind in him in a few few points in the in this fight. Although Phil did have a seven and a half inch reach advantage, his jab was working, brutal jab, right? He's keeping win at distance. Win couldn't really find a way in. He wasn't getting the nice leg kicks to get in. He was just big loopy shots, taking a punch to get into the distance. <clears throat> but he was taking massive shots, man. Massive elbows. He somehow stayed alive. I thought he was knocked out multiple times. But Phil stayed patient. Previously, Phil's gotten in some trouble like when he fought Chris, uh, action man Curtis. He made it a brawl. Curtis caught him, right? Uh, so sometimes you're in that position. These guys are so durable. You got to be patient. You got to let them sit. You got to find your openings. And I was impressed how he was able to do that. And then round two, it was just too much for win, man. <coughs> Sorry, I'm just getting over a cold here. Now, Phil didn't get wreck reckless this time like he did Chris Curtis. Um, but I thought just the things that he add to the tool bag, the things he add to his striking kit, you know, it's like a video game character. You're leveling up. Let's throw in this elbow. Let's throw in this kick. And it was just super impressive, man. Um, you know, Haas is still a young guy. As he puts this shit together, he is going to be a force because wins no easy dude either. <clears throat> I'll give some what some H2O, you know what I mean? Now, statistically, Haas landed 126 total and 118 significant strikes with the takedown and knockdown compared to wins 34 total and 32 significant strikes. Now, Haas starts a new winning streak and is 5-1 in the UFC, while Duran starts a new losing streak and is 1-3 in his last four fights, and he is 2-3 in the UFC. Now, I want to see these matchups. How about Phil Haas versus Brendan Allen? And Duran versus Eric Anders. Whoo-wee, would those be some bangers? I assume Duran's going to be out for some time, though, so we'll see. You know, Eric might get another fight. But those on paper get the blood going. Now, Cody Stamen, first-round knockout over Eddie Wineland. We got this one, little dub. And this one didn't last very long either. I mean, Cody let his hands loose for a guy that's a wrestler first, and he connected that was night night for Eddie Wineland. Uh, you know, he's been finished quite a bit lately. Cody, after the fight, says he thinks, you know, he's very, very confident. A lot of guys worked that night. I mean, just the testosterone levels in that building, man, probably off the roof. It's like when you go to the stadiums and they have the noise meter, the energy, the testosterone, just everything's on the far right extreme. 
But he says that he can be anyone, and he has learned to not just wrestle but let his hands go. I'm not fully sold on that statement. Um, you know, he has a knockout over a vet on his way out. He's now officially retired. You know, bravo for you. And no disrespect to Eddie Wineland. Um, but I'm excited to see what he does next. You know, I am a little higher on him than, than most. Um, because he is in his prime. He does have good wrestling, but he is a smaller fighter. And I, I haven't seen the good footwork, the good striking ability, shots from multiple angles that a lot of these guys in the bantamweight division have. So it'll be interesting to see what, what's up in the future for him. Statistically, it took Cody 32 total and 27 significant strikes with the knockdown versus Eddie's three total and significant strikes that he got off. Eddie now ends his storied career on a three-fight losing streak. All, th all three of those fights were knockouts or TKOs. While Stamen halts his three-fight losing streak, gets that momentum back, starts a new winning streak. And like I said, the confidence in there, hey, I could be anyone, you're just on a three-fight losing streak. But I, I'll give him some credit. He is a dangerous fighter. No one's really going to want to fuck with him. So what's next? I think Cody versus Kyler Phillips or Victor Henry. Those would be good tests. Move him up. See what he could do. Uh, but I don't know if he'll, he'll get pole vaulted that much after three straight losses. And then another victory here on the picks. Ricardo Hamos. Ramos. Hamos. Hamos. First round knockout over Danny Chavez. And this one wasn't long, but it was fun. And oh boy, is Ramos good at timing that spinning elbow. Golly, man. He's done it multiple times. He delivers top highlight knockouts. I didn't know if you could get much better than this knockout. We saw the knee. We saw Cody do work. And then this, I was like, ha, what, what is going on in Austin tonight? <coughs> Oh, man. Scratchy throat today. But he had him up against the cage, and the timing was immaculate. I don't think Don, Danny, you know, he was about to throw. While he was doing that, the elbow was already coming, like, at the temple. Fucking bullseye. And that was all it took. Statistically, it only took Ricardo four total insignificant strikes with that knockdown. And Danny was able to land three total insignificant strikes. But Ricardo starts a new winning streak. He is 4-3 and three since 2019. And Danny's on a two-fight losing streak with a draw in there due to a point reduction. So he is 1-2-1 in the UFC. Tough start. Still a solid fighter. So next for Ricardo, how about Darren Elkins? That would be a banger. That would be a fun stand-up clinic. And Danny versus Michael Trezano, the old Ultimate Fighter winner who uh, just is coming off a loss as well. Those would be fun, fun, fun. For UFC fans. And then a fight that I was super back and forth on picking. Um, I went with the vet and it bit me a little bit. But how about Jeremiah Wells with his first round knockout over Court McGee. And another emphatic knockout in the books. Wells said he was working on the specific shot training with Sean Brady. Who is a badass and also defeated Court McGee. And really, you know, at the start of the fight... The way Court fights is he kind of smothers you. He pressures you. He doesn't let you get comfortable, sit in the pocket, and throw. And I think he just respected Jeremiah Wells' power so much because he wasn't as aggressive as he needed to be. He wasn't coming forward like he typically does. And Wells put in a combo with a dangerous, I think, left-handed, like, really loopy shot where usually when you're at Court, you're standing there, you're thinking you're at a distance, and all of a sudden, boom, shuts the lights out. And, uh, yeah, that's all it was. I mean, 
This only took Jeremiah seven total and significant strikes with that knockdown, and Court landed three total and significant strikes as well. So at this point, the energy in the building, I mean, we have one, two, three, four first-round knockouts and a second-round knockout before the main fucking card. I mean, that place is insane, man. And uh, how about the, just the, the, the fucking coming-out party Jeremiah Wells has after this? I mean, golly. He's on a five-fight winning streak, three of those in the UFC. And Court obviously starts a new losing streak. He had two straight wins coming into this. So I would love to see Court take on Carlson Harris. And how about Jeremiah versus Alex Murano? That's a little bit further up the ladder board. That would be must-see. <clears throat> All that action, only the prelims. Starting in the main card, there had been some uh, movement in the main card because um, Donald Cerrone versus Joe Lozon got um, pulled the day before. Joe was trying to put some socks on or something. His leg locked up. He couldn't walk. This is the second time it got canceled. Dana says it probably won't get booked again. It's almost like Khabib and Tony. Uh, total bummer because that's such a legendary vet fight. You know, both those guys want to have each other's names on their resume. Uh, it's a bummer. But insert this main card, uh, this fight to start the main card. You got the local homeboy, Adrian Yanez, with a first round knockout over bad boy Tony Kelly. I mean, this fight has some hostility to it. It was a little bit different than the others. Uh, Tony was playing the bad guy. He was going for it. But Yana's boxing with the home crowd, the local fighter, showed out, and that arena went fucking bonkers. I mean, the jab was on point. His combos were on point. His boxing has really gotten slick. It's always been good, but it looks even cleaner and crisper. And he's just getting better from fight to fight. I mean, he's a young guy. I mean, what is he? He's probably 28, 27? Let's see. 28 years old. I mean, this is a bad man. I mean, there's a lot of bad men in the uh, bantamweight division, but he's a bad man. Um, Tony's tough. You know, he's a very experienced fighter. He's very durable. He took some big shots, but Yana's had just that like flow state locked in determination, focus and efficiency. And it was his night for sure. <coughs> Statistically, Yanez landed 36 total and 35 significant strikes with a knockdown compared to Tony's 21 total and 20 significant. Yanez now, he's on a fucking tear. Nine straight wins, six of them in the UFC. And Tony starts a new losing streak. And, uh, you know, he, he didn't only start a new losing streak and took an L. He lost some money because he missed the weight cut. Didn't really attempt it the second time. Didn't care. Probably was a little confident. So not only did he come home with a bruised face and a bruised ego, but a bruised paycheck as well. So what's next? I would love to see Yanez fight some big names. He called for some really big names, including the Sugar Show. I think he gets someone along the lines of Victor Henry or Kyler Phillips as well, like we had uh, boosted for Cody Stamen. So some, some names up there on the leaderboard for him. Guys, borderline rankings. And for Tony, how about Vince Morales? That seems right. Um, you know, he's the bad guy now, but he's still a good, tough fighter. And then we get a little bit bigger in the weight divisions, and I just thought the knockouts were bigger. To me, this was one of the nastiest, brutal knockouts of the night. And are you surprised? I sure in the fuck are, because RoboCop is the real fucking deal. Gregory Rodriguez 
with a first round knockout over Julian Marquez. Wow, wow man. Um, this motherfucker is a Terminator. I mean, Robocop was aggressive right after the bell and just relentless coming forward. I guess the guy like Julian, who's a, a military veteran, a tough son of a bitch. You're like, whoa, do you really want to try to outbattle a guy like this? And he did. He was confident, and he went in there like a bull seeing red. He never let Julian get comfortable. He came forward right away. He landed some nasty, heavy shots and uh, rocked Julian a, a few times. Julian was, you know, kind of sitting there taking it and then throwing some big loopy shots back. He landed a couple, but uh, RoboCop was willing to eat him to throw some more. Again, I thought this was the nastiest knockout of the night. Julian was basically out while standing. Then RoboCop hitting him again, and his body just collapsed like a foldable lawn chair. I mean, golly, man. That's something you don't want your kids to see if you're if you're Julian. Um, but how about RoboCop, man? It only took him 50 total and 49 significant strikes. He had knocked down Julian three times, and Julian landed 13 total and significant strikes. So Julian starts a new winning... Or, um, Gregory starts a new winning streak after a controversial split decision loss. And Julian starts a new losing streak after two wins last year in 2021. So I would, how about this fight? Gregory Rodriguez versus Chidi Noquani or Anthony Hernandez. Those would be bangers. And how about Julian, Julian versus Mark Andre Beralt? Those would be fantastic. Either way, RoboCop, he's on his way up. He's must-see TV. This guy is a fucking Terminator. And then this fucking fight. <clears throat> Besides the main event, I knew Cater and Emmett would be a fucking banger. I almost thought this might be a little bit more of a banger. To me, this was like, hey, this is a low-key fight that nobody really talks about. I mean, real UFC fans definitely do, and MMA fans. But the level and IQ in this fight was insane. Better than some title fights, most title fights I've seen. I'm a DBZ fan, so if you like Dragon Ball Z, this is like the new Dragon Ball Super God Mode Goku fighting against Hit and all these bad guys that they have. It's like... You have something coming up, like the body control that they have to ditch those 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 shots. The way that they stand there and boom, it's like question mark kick. Garam's kicks were fucking next level. Demir, the way he's just able to... The whole fight, they have head movement. Your, your head's never on the straight line, right? They're going, they're going. Obviously, it's only a three-round fight, but still, the, the pace was immense. The durability that Demir has, I mean, this fight... I could watch over and over. This shit was next level. I'm talking, there's levels to this game, right? This level was so damn high for guys that aren't even ranked. I mean, nobody's going to want to fuck with these dudes. But Demir got the win, split decision over Garam, Katataladze. And like I said, it was like watching DBZ. The way they were able to keep the pace, their head movement, bob and weave, while throwing punishing, powerful shots, man. Unbelievable. The way that this the, the UFC, since I've been a kid watching Chuck Liddell, Randy Couture, the way this shit is leveled up, what is it going to be like in the next decade? 
And that's why your boy wants to be a part of it. We're going MMA only. I fucking love this shit, man. Going to UFC 276, I love seeing this. I want to help tell fighter stories as well. I mean, I want to know about these guys. Like, what was their childhood like? What led them to this? Because, dude, these guys, like, it's like the shit you read in books where they've had, you know, 10,000 hours to be a master. It's like they have 100,000 hours. They're like, it's like a fourth degree black belt. The, the shit that they're doing, man, it was just unbelievable. High level shit. As fans, I think we're lucky to see that matchup. If you haven't watched that matchup, go watch that matchup. Nobody is going to want to face these dudes. Nobody in this division is going to want to fuck with these dudes. They're just, they're, and they're not normal. The way they move, the, like, I don't know if Demir had some eye issues or if he's just trying to fake you out with eye blinks, like, you know, shoulder twitches, hip twitches, just, oh my God, just anything and anything. They had it. They, they respected each other. They knew, like, yo, I'm going to have to level, I'm going to have to go Super Saiyan right here. Because this motherfucker is crazy, too. And the international scene, man. These guys are coming to the UFC fucking taking it down, man. The USA, we need some more homegrown talent because these motherfuckers are savages. But like I said, Grom's kicks, next level, come out of nowhere, no tells. How Demir was able to avoid those, the right movement just to dodge it. A couple of those were so fucking close. I felt like if they would have landed, it would have been night night. Some people thought this could have gone Garam's way, but I had Demir with rounds two and three. I got I thought Garam won round one. I don't think it was controversial. I was happy with the fight. I did pick Demir. You know, you could say I'm biased with that. I don't think so. I thought that was a clear victory. Um, statistically, Demir landed 83 total and 79 significant strikes compared to Garam's 80 total and 78 significant. With the takedown, although it was in seven attempts, so he didn't do very, you know, a, a couple takedown attempts for both guys, but the takedown defense, I mean, they're good everywhere. It's insane. Demir had six takedown attempts as well. Didn't land one. Some of them were like little trips or like half-assed attempts. You you know, as a fighter, if you can mix in some wrestling looks, it keeps the other guys on their heels. These guys were so high level, though, they weren't falling for it. So Demir is now on a 19-fight winning streak. Five of them are in the UFC, while Garam is on a, had his nine-fight winning streak come to an end, and he starts a new losing streak. Garam is one and one in the UFC. He had quite a bit of time off, I think, due to injury and some visa issues. But I can't wait to see these guys grace the octagon again. I want to see Demir is Magulov versus Gregor Gillespie. Dana White, Sean Shelby, that's the fight to make. And Garam versus Alexander Hernandez would be a fucking fun fight as well. Either way, I hope these guys are back in there soon because golly, it's just a fucking masterpiece when they're in there. Speaking about masterpiece, Buckley, Joaquin Buckley is known for fucking people up and making masterpieces. And I went back and forth on this pick. I didn't pick Buckley. Got the L here. But he got a second round TKO over Al Albert Duraev. And this fight was back and forth, right? It wasn't a completely dominant fight. Had lots of crazy moments, some big shots from both fighters. But Buckley was so aggressive and a little bit wild. But Buckley was a lot more wild earlier. His volume, it's more so about his volume with more strategic shots, I would say, with his aggressiveness here. 
and he did definitely pressured Jariah. He didn't let him get comfortable. He, you know, he could wrestle him. He didn't let him, you know, have the ability to step forward to look for a takedown. And I didn't even know this coming in, but they used to train together, and Albert actually wanted this fight. He thought he could beat Buckley. Well, I uh, wonder how he feels about it now. You know, Buckley, another fighter who each time he steps in the octagon is drastically improving his game. He's becoming more well-rounded, and he's not just a power striker. Statistically, it took him 30 total strikes and 27 significant strikes with two knockdowns compared to Albert's third, or 17 total and 10 significant strikes. And he only got two takedowns in nine attempts. If you want to be an elite wrestler, you got to be getting at least 50%. So a tough night in the office for him in the wrestling department. Bravo to Buckley, though, because I'm sure in practice, right, you know, there's these guys who think they're all-stars of practice. He's probably taking down Buckley all the time. But in this fight, he was not letting it happen. He was prepared. Buckley now, he's on a three-fight winning streak. He's 5-2 and two in the UFC. While Albert has his 10-fight winning streak come to an end, he is 2-1 and one in the UFC. Now, I would love to see Buckley versus Wellington Terman. That would be a striking clinic. And Albert, how about Jacob Malkoon? Two wrestlers, two grinded out. Those would be great, similar stylistic matchups and uh, would be a ton of fun. <coughs> oh, man. Not only am I just getting over a cold, but I was yelling for Mike Trout and Shohei Otani so much of the games. My voice is like hoarse. It's so scratchy. You know, Father's Day was yesterday. I had to let the Mariners fans know who their daddy is. And their daddy is Mike motherfucking Trout, the GOAT. What a fucking weekend, man. We'll talk about it later. <clears throat> All right. In the second to last fight of this fucking wild. I mean, every fight we've broken down here. Fucking nuts, dude. Straight chaos. Uh, the Demir fight didn't end up in a finish. But like I said, I enjoyed that fight just as much as any of them. And then here, we knew this was going to be fun. Kevin Holland with a second round submission over Tim Means. I had bet for him to finish in the third round. I'm so bummed, but uh, it is what it is. Um, how about Kevin Holland in the welterweight division, though, man? Golly, he looks ripped in here. He looks dangerous. His striking looks improved. His wrestling defense, he was able to get taken down and get up. I mean, I haven't seen Kevin Holland look as slick as he did here. Against a very, very good and durable and tough Tim Means. I mean, he said after the fight that he wanted to fight at welterweight and middleweight. That would be interesting. I think Dana's going to let him do whatever he wants. And even after the or after weighing in, he got, he helped stop some more crime, some crackhead robbing a store or something. I mean, this guy is just headlines, awesome news everywhere he goes. Holland, he's just another guy like Buckley that I just see improve so much. Every single time he gets in the octagon, He's better with his wrestling defense. His crisp striking and BJJ's there as usual. He's a problem. I mean, Tim had some good shots. He got some takedowns in. But Holloway was able to find a way to get the fuck out of there. Or Holland, not Holloway, sorry. Was able to find a way to get up, find a way to deliver some strikes back, and get into the positions that he wanted to be in. And I think that was probably frustrating for Tim. Statistically, Holland landed 53 total and 36 significant strikes. With a submission attempt. 
compared to Tim's 25 total and 21 significant strikes with two takedowns and five attempts. Tim now has his three-fight winning streak come to an end. He starts a new losing streak while Kevin is on a two-fight winning streak. Um, I want to see Tim versus Max Griffin and put Kevin, like he said, he called out for Sean Brady. Holland Big Mouth versus Brady. Tim versus Max. Those would be fireworks. We'll see if Kevin Holland could really be the real deal in this division. And then the main event. Josh Emmett with a split decision over Calvin Cater. And this fight to me went about exactly how I thought it would. Cater was able to outbox Emmett. He was able to land the jab, use his reach, while Emmett was able to come in with some fucking power, man. The body shots. He came in like Chandler with the boo, boo, you know, hitting his body, hit, going up top. And, you know, this there was some controversy here. I had Cater winning round two and four and five. He did land more shots and had the jab working, which in my mind, the way the scoring is supposed to be is by strikes, by ring control, right? Emmett didn't land as big a shots in round two or one. He landed like the powerful, effective shots, right? The, the, the shots that just make it, ooh, and I feel like more and more fights that I've watched lately that have been controversial, that's what it's been. Someone's landed more volume, but someone else had more more of the significant strikes, right? Cater got credit for a lot of them, but the judges gave Emmett more. Um, and I thought Cater finished the last two rounds like a champion. Emmett's face was all fucked up. Usually they go that way. I don't think you could really pick a wrong winner here. That's the the brutality of it. You know, Emmett really did have some big shots. It was really close. It is what it is. The more impactful shots went Emmett's way, and I just thought the judges leaned to that. But usually a fighter who wears it on his face, like I said, ends the last two rounds the way I thought it went with Cater. They were going to give it to Cater. Um, the only thing that really shocked me was that Calvin didn't throw as much kicks as he usually does. But I think he was really worried about the wrestling of Emmett. He didn't want Emmett to get on top and grind him out. But it was a great fight. I mean, it was a clinic. I mean, it was so goddamn close. Both guys are deserving of title shots. I don't know. If you're the UFC matchmakers, you're probably a little happy. Cater's already gotten smoked by Holloway, right? So Holloway wins. Do you really want that? Volk wins. I, I just don't think he could compete. Josh Emmett is some new blood. He's you know, only got so much time to get in there. He's powerful. He's dangerous. It is what it is. I'm sure Calvin will be right back up in into the top of the division. Cater landed 131 total and 130 significant strikes compared to Josh's 107 total and significant. So statistically there, right? Cater had quite, quite a bit more volume. Calvin does start a new losing streak and is 3-2 and two since 2020, while Josh is now on a five-fight winning streak. So up next, I think Josh does get the winner of Holloway and Volkanovski. Unless Volkanovski wins, he has a potential to go up divisions, which you never know if he emphatically beats Max. I think Calvin take on the Korean zombie in that retirement fight or the fucking hot up-and-comer Arnold Allen. You beat those guys emphatically, you're right back in the mix. But how about that goddamn card? Golly, man. UFC Austin, cheers to you, salute to you, bravo. I can't wait for 276. Big shoes to fill. Let's go.
Now, this weekend, we have another fight night card, this time back at the UFC Apex, sadly. I really enjoy the fight nights with the crowd. You get an event like UFC Austin, give the people what they want, but we're getting there. I know with COVID and things, it's been uh, challenging, to say the least. This one a little earlier of a start, even than this past weekend. It's a 3 p.m. Pacific main card start. The main card's on ESPN. The prelims on ESPN 2. So let's start in the prelims. We have Brian Boom Kelleher, 35 years old with a 24 and 13 record, taking on Mario Batista, 28 years old with a 9 and 2 record. Now, this is an interesting fight. It's vet versus prospect. Uh, high quality, you know, fighters for right early in a prelim. Both fighters have faced very good competition. Brian likes to take out the young guys on their way up to the top anyway, so I'm sure he's going to try to get in Mario's face, try to get in his head. But Mario's well-rounded. I think this one's going to be a tough day at the office for Brian. You know, Mario trains at the MMA lab with Sean O'Malley a lot of the time. He's a tough dude, so I'm excited to see what he can do. This is a good uh, level competition for him. When we look at it, Brian is an orthodox fighter. He has a brown belt in BJJ. He was the ROC bantamweight champion. He is coming off a loss and is already one and one this year. So he's been active. He's always been active. I mean, he's got 37 fights professionally. 10 of his 24 wins are via submission and seven of his 13 losses are via submission. So he submits or gets submitted quite a bit. Mario trains out of the MMA lab. He's on a one fight winning streak, which was earlier this year in 2022. Three of his nine fights are via uh, three of his nine wins are via knockout and three of them via submission. He is three and two in the UFC and has a six inch reach advantage in this fight. Now this is a big fight for Mario. He's moving his way up in the bantamweight division. Brian needs this win to remain relevant in bantamweight. You lose to the young up and comers. You call out continuously. You're just going to be in purgatory. I don't think it really matters. This guy likes to fight. He fights anybody. But I'm taking Mario. I'm putting him on my parlay. We market that ish down, and we getting that bread. Got to go to Vegas for the 30 with some bread. You know what I mean? Then we have Haulian Paiva, 26 years old, with a 21-4 and record, turkey, taking on Sergei Morozov, who's 33 years old with a 17-5 and record. Now, this is uh, two pretty big-time prospects, not ranked guys that have... You know, been some mainstays. They've been here for a little while, but now it's time to climb up, heading into their prime. And as we said with the last fight, Bantamweight's really deep. Paiva has more UFC experience, but Sergey has dominated the M1 circuit and is a former champ. Raulian trains out of Team Alpha Male. He's got a black belt in BJJ. He's a Dana White Contender Series alum. He is on a one-fight losing streak and finished 2021 with a one-and-one record. Two of his four losses are via knockout, and he has a two-and-a-half-inch reach advantage here. Sergey, he's on a one-fight losing streak as well. Eight of his 17 wins are via knockout. Three of his five losses are via submission, and he is one and two since 2021. Now, I like how active Paiva's been in the UFC. He's fought really good competition. His last fight was the Sugar Show. We all know how that went. I was there. I think he uses his length to his advantage to keep Sergey at distance and find a way to victory. He is the underdog here. I'm going with the dog. Hoo, hoo. I'm putting him on my parlay. 
We marking that ish down and we getting this bread. Moving on. We have Carlos Black Jag Olberg, 31 years old with a 6-1 record, taking on Tafan, Dadan, and Chukwu. He's 27 years old with a 6-2 record. Now, this one's going to be a banger. It's a good prelim headliner. It should deliver. I don't expect this one to last too long. Carlos, he trains out of City Kickboxing. He's a Dana White Contender Series alum. He is a King of the Ring Tournament champion. And he's on a one-fight winning streak and is 2-1 in the UFC. Two of his four wins are via knockout. Defon, he's a blue belt in BJJ. He's on a one-fight losing streak and is 3-2 in the UFC. And four of his six wins are via knockout. Both are young guys in their UFC career. Not necessarily young in age, but young in their UFC career. Defon's not quite in his prime. I'd say Olberg's in his fighting prime. They could make some moves with the win here. I'm going to go with Carlos. He, he's in his prime. He looks dangerous. He does train with City Kickboxing. He's around a lot of good guys. We're putting him in our parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Now in the main card, we have Chris Action Man Curtis, 34 years old with a 28-8 record, taking on Rodolfo Vieira, 32 years old with an 8-1 record. Now, this one's fun as Chris has had some very impressive victories lately over young fighters. While Rodolfo, he's a BJJ legend. I mean, this guy is one of the best of the best in the grappling department. Now, Chris, he's on a seven-fight winning streak. 14 of his 28 wins are via knockout. He is a PFL and Dana White Contender Series alum, and he does have a two-and-a-half-inch reach advantage. Rodolfo, obviously a background in BJJ with a black belt. The best of the best tournaments. He is an ADCC gold medalist, a world champion, and a Pan-American champion. He is on a one-fight winning streak and is 3-1 and one in the UFC. And seven of his eight wins, you guessed it, via submission. Now, Chris, I think, obviously will have the striking advantage and the experience advantage. But if Rodolfo can find a way to get the ground... Uh, but if Rodolfo can find a way to get to the ground, things are going to change quickly. I'm not too sure if he's going to be able to get that done. Curtis can wrestle. He's, he's trained with some wrestlers. I think he's going to be patient. He's shown his patience lately. I'm going with Action Man. I'm marking that ish on that parlay, and we getting that bread. Moving on. We have Nate Mayhem Manis. 30 years old with a 14-1 and record, taking on Umar Nurmagomedov, who's 26 years old with a 14-0 and record. Another young stud matchup here. Nate, he's a blue belt in BJJ. He's been a champ at Hard Rock MMA, TKO Major League MMA, and Bluegrass Brawl. He's on a four-fight winning streak, and three of them are in the UFC. Five of his 14 wins are via knockout. And he does have a three-inch reach advantage. Umar, he's undefeated with and 2-0 in the UFC. Seven of his 14 wins are via submission. And he is a PFL alum. I really like what I've seen from Umar. Haven't seen a lot of Nate. He is a good, a good fighter. He's a big plus 550 underdog here. I think the fight ends up being a little bit closer than the odds are giving him credit for. But I am going to take the undefeated Umar. I'm putting him down on the parlay. 
We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. Moving on. We have Tiago Moises, 27 years old with a 15 and 6 record, taking on Christos, the Spartan Giagos, who's 32 years old with a 19 and 9 record. I really like this fight as we get talented fighters who are desperate for a win. Tiago, he's got a BJJ background with a black belt. He tra trains out of ATT. He's a Southpaw fighter. He's an alum of LFA. RFA and Dana White Contender Series. He's the RFA champ. He's on a two-fight losing streak, and six of his 15 wins are via submission. Now, Christos trains out of Sanford MMA. He's a brown belt in BJJ. He was an RFA champ as well. He's on a one-fight losing streak and is 1-1 one one since 2021. Seven of his 19 wins are via knockout, and four of his nine losses are via submission. Now, both fighters have fought very stiff competition this far in the UFC, but I like the skills that Tiago has on the mat while standing. I've gone back and forth here, but I'm taking Tiago, the young fighter, not quite in his prime. I think he finds a way. We marking him down. We, we getting him on that parlay, and we getting that bread. The co-main, man, this is a fun fight. This is the fight I'm most excited for. We get Neil, the Haitian sensation Magni, 34 years old with a 26-9 and record and the number 10 next to his name, taking on Shavat Nomad Rakhamanov, 27 years old, undefeated with 15-0 record and the number 15 next to his name. Now, this is the real test for Shavat as Neil is a motherfucker. It goes the distance. It's going to be a ton of fun. Neil, he trains at an elevation fight team. He has a brown belt in BJJ. He is tied for the most wins in a calendar year, calendar year with five. He also is tied for the most wins in UFC welterweight history, a la GSP. He's on a two-fight winning streak. Four of his eight losses are via submission, and he has a three-inch reach advantage. Now, Shavat, he has a Sambo background with the Master of Sport and Sambo. He trains at a Sanford MMA. He was an M1 champion. He's undefeated with th uh, three of the wins in the UFC. Eight of his 15 wins are via knockout. Seven of his 15 wins are via submission. So he's finished all of his fights. Very impressive. Although that's impressive, I'm interested to see if Shavat, who hasn't gone to round three in quite some time, is going to be able to do so with a guy like Neil. Neil has that pace and volume over the course of three rounds that not a lot of guys put up. He's grinding on you. He's striking on you. He's kicking. He's got some wrestling. I do like Magny's experience, obviously, and I think he's very skilled everywhere. There's not a real weak point with Neil. Neil is actually a plus 300 underdog. I'm taking the dog. Hoo, hoo. I'm getting some bread. We put him on that parlay, and we getting that bread. Let's go to Vegas with that cheddar. <coughs> That's going to be fun, though. That's the one I'm circling. I got to find a way to fucking tune in on that fight. I'd love to see it. Now the main event. Armin Akalaket's Tessarian, 25 years old, young fighter here, 
with an 18-2 record and the number 11 next to his name, taking on Matuz Gamer Gamrot, 31 years old, with a 20-1 record and the number 12 next to his name. Now, this is another chess match that's about to go down. I don't think it's going to be at the level of um, the Demir fight that we talked about in, in Austin. A little bit different style of fighters, more wrestling-heavy guys. But these two can wrestle and strike with the best of them. That's why they're ranked. You know, Matuz is in his prime. Armand's only 20 fucking five. Armand, he's a master of sport in MMA and wrestling. He's on a five-fight winning streak and hasn't lost since his uh, first professional fight besides a loss to Islam Makachev, and we all know where he's at now. Seven of his 18 wins are via knockout, and that Islam fight actually went to decision. So um, Armand's a tough son bitch. Matuz, he's a southpaw fighter. He trains out of ATT. He has a black belt in BJJ. He has the record for fastest submission by Kimura in UFC history, which was 65 seconds. He was first place at the ADCC European Championship in 2014 and 2019. He's on a three-fight winning streak, all of those in 2021, so he's been active. And seven of his 20 wins are via knockout. I think Gamera is solid everywhere, but I think Armand is a little bit better. I like his stri striking, his boxing. I like his wrestling. For that reason, I'm high on Armand. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Fun fight night. Pretty solid fight night. Hard to compete with Austin. I thought that was fight of or card of the year. But what's next? UFC 276, an insane card, deep card. I think maybe one of the best cards of all time in store, headlined by Israel Adesanya. We get uh, Volkanovski, Holloway Trilogy, the Sugar Show is back, and your boy will be there for his 30th. Let's go. If you're out there, hit me up. Love to have some good time. We're seeing Joe Rogan on Friday, fight night on Saturday. Can't wait. Can't wait. Well, let's talk some NBA. Around the league, things are getting interesting. The NBA draft is Thursday, so I expect to see some trades this week. The Rockets sent a deal uh, that was a package of Christian Wood to the Mavericks. They didn't gotta get a lot in return. I know Wood's had some locker room issues or whatever the, the Rockets are reporting. That's a high-level talent for the Mavericks. I think that does upgrade their team, and they didn't have to give a lot to get, get them. The problem is, is he hasn't been healthy consistent so we'll see what they could get out of them but i believe that the mavericks if a team could do it the mavericks is a great fit i was i was impressed by that move with the mavs weird one here kenny atkinson actually backed out of the the charlotte job they end up going on to win the nba championship which we'll talk about game six here in a second and he wants to stay to be an assistant with golden state i'm sure steve kerr had some uh swaying in this decision but uh, the Charlotte Hornets still in, in search for a coach. And then as a Jazz fan, big rumor here seems to have some real meat and potatoes on it. Rumored Hawks and Jazz trade for Rudy Gobert. It sounds like they're going to give Clint Capella, John Collins, their first round pick, which I believe is like 16th because the Jazz have no picks. Um, but the Jazz want a little more. I'm sure that little bit more is DeAndre Hunter. I don't think they're willing to do that. We'll see what happens, though. I'm, like I said, expecting a lot of trades this week. The NBA offseason's a lot of fun. 
I'm really excited to see where Paolo, Jaden Ivey, and some of the top talent goes. But let's talk game six. That's all that's happened since last week's pod. Um, this was going down in Boston, right? It's in the garden. You know, the way the Warriors won in Oakland, you think there's a chance that they could win, but I thought it would be a little bit closer than the, the actual score. This one went down 103 to 90, and I expected their stars to show up uh, for Boston, and that's not really the case. I mean, this game wasn't pretty by any means. Um, the war the Warriors were led by Steph Curry, Chef Curry. You already know MV uh, Finals MVP Curry, uh, thirty four points, seven rebounds, seven assists. That's on twenty one shots. He was six of eleven for three. Uh, the Warriors shot forty one percent from from uh, deep in the game. Wiggins pitched in a nice line, eighteen points, six rebounds, five assists, and four steals. Uh, his defense was immaculate. That was a big. The big differentiator in this series and a big reason why I had uh, picked the Warriors to win. I didn't pick the Warriors to win at the beginning of the season, right? I had them far start playoff time. I had them in the Western Conference finals, uh, but come final time, I did pick the Warriors. Although my gut was telling me the Celtics, I went with the Warriors. Um, and then Jordan Poole off the bench, 15 points. He's getting paid, ladies and gents. For the Celtics, this was all Jalen Brown. A lot of the controversy with the Celtics have been, can Jalen and Tatum coexist? They had a disastrous year last year, which made no sense. The first half was disasterful. The big change was the players bought in defensively. They have some long players. Defensively, they've been a great unit. But offensively, they're ice and cold. They don't have a, you know, in a great basketball team, especially the Warriors, you kind of have a concoction, right? It's a, a mix of plays, speed, passing, getting other players involved. It's beautiful basketball. The Celtics' offense just seems clunky. It's these athletic guys just slashing to the hole. Um, the three-pointers point aren't wide open. They're not moving the ball to get those open shots. And they don't have a facilitator point guard. I like Marcus, Marcus Smart, but I see him more as a six-man point guard off the bench. He's great defensively, but, I mean, he did have nine assists here, but it, it just doesn't flow the way I think Boston could get it flowing. But Jalen Brown put the team on his back. 34 points, 5 of 11 from three, seven rebounds on 23 shots. Um, but a lot of the times he does that Tatum doesn't Tatum goes off. Brown doesn't. Well, Tatum had a terrible game six elimination game, only 13.7 assists, one of four from three. And that was on 18 shots. <clears throat> Tatum had five turnovers. So did Jalen Brown. They had 22 turnovers in this game. That's just not going to win it. When you have a team like the Warriors is going to make buckets, make you pay in transition. And, uh, that was really the story here, but the Celtics, a surprise team in the NBA Finals for me. <clears throat> they have a lot of talent. Their talent's not even peaking yet. It'll be interesting to see what they do moving forward. But if I'm a Celtics fan, I'm, I'm definitely not impressed with the Tatum showing. Um, but they got there. They probably, not a lot of people picked them to get there. I enjoyed the Finals. I was actually rooting for the, the Warriors, which isn't a common occurrence. When they had KD, I couldn't root for them. I've always wanted to root for Steph. Now's the time, and he got the job done. Salute to you, Chef Curry. <clears throat> you want to talk about saluting? I have this hat on for a reason. Because this team is a bad squad. Bad. I mean, golly. We'll pick up where we left off game one. This went to overtime. This was a battle. But you're at home. You're in Denver. You got to win game one. You got to protect home ice. The Avalanche. Found a way. They won 4-3 in overtime. Andre Borofsky with the second playoff goal to take take the win. But the Avs started hot. 
Gabriel Landeskog with his ninth playoff goal to start it off. Valerie Nushkin with his sixth playoff goal. The Azure up 2 0. I'm feeling good. Well, Nick Nicholas Paul gets his fourth playoff goal. You know it was going to be high scoring. Uh, Arturi Lenikin with the seventh via power play. Azure up 3 1. I'm like, we got this. You know, the, the ability to score on um, Tampa's goalie. I mean, one of the legends of the sport, debatably the best goalie in hockey. And uh, you got three three points on the board um, in the first inning. I'm, I'm stoked, right? Well, Andrej Palat gets his ninth playoff goal in the second. Uh, Sergachev gets his second in the second. It's a tie game. But like I said, Borovsky, second goal early in the overtime, minute 23 in. You love to see it. The abs are going wild. You don't want to have a cold start. I didn't see any, like, I don't know. You know, you, you have that much time off. I think it was nine days off. You're a little worried that they might come in, but I was wanting health, right? Kepper's back. They haven't had Kadri back, which is a total bummer, but they found a way. They outshot Tampa as they usually outshoot teams by 15. Uh, the rest of the stats are pretty pretty similar. Tampa Bay did have 12 more faceoff wins, but huge, huge win, which set up for... Um, Game two in Denver on Saturday. I was at T-Mobile, missed this game, and I'm glad I didn't have to watch a lot of it because this was a 7-0 ass-kicking. Whatever adjustments Tampa was making was not working. Uh, Nushkin with the seventh in the first via power play. Nushkin with his eighth in the second. Kel McCarr with a shorthanded goal in the third and a power play goal for his seventh playoff goal in the seventh. This kid's like 23 years old, the core of the avalanche. After this game, I saw analysts say this might be the fastest team I've seen on ice. This might be the most uh, dynamic offensive scoring team in the league, and their core is so young. They're playing a dynasty or a team that's gone back-to-back. They're, they're handing the reins over. We're a little early. Tampa went down 0-2 against New York. We're going to Tampa tonight, Monday night, 5 p.m. I'm going to be watching. But the Avs outscored them by 24 shots. They actually only lost two um, face-off wins. Tampa Bay had way more hits. They tried to out-physical them, but it wasn't working. And how about Kemper? I knew having Kemper back was going to make a big difference. But 7-0, all the small things, is fucking cranking in Denver. Carry me home. I will not go. Turn the lights off. Love me some Blink. Love it. We got to get Blink if they win in the in the championship parade. That just makes too much sense. But woo! 7-0. I'm fired up. Um, You don't want to put all your eggs in the basket, though. Tampa is favored. Game three at home. Big game tonight. Big game tonight. Avs win. There's no way they're losing this series. Can't wait. And as championship season's winding down, baseball's getting serious. If you're slumping right now in baseball, you're in trouble. So some headlines, Lorenzo Cain, DFA'd by the Brewers. A longtime legend, a guy that I really liked for a long time. Um, you know, he is 36 years old. Not everyone could play till they're 40. But this guy was a stud. The mix of power, the mix of speed. He was able to do a little bit of everything. Let's see. He, let's see if I can find some of his best years. He never hit over 20 home runs, never had over 100 RBIs. Let's see. He has so many years on here, AAA teams, major league teams. 
But he had some solid seasons. I mean, 28 stolen bases, 30 stolen bases. He stole some bases, just shy of 100 RBIs. He played for multiple teams, Milwaukee, uh, Kansas City. He was part of some, some big club culture teams. Bravo, salute to you, Lorenzo. He was a guy that I like to have on fantasy and a guy that just, you know, he was there. Um, so, you know, potentially the end of his career might get picked up somewhere. Bummer of a day as an Angels fan. On Friday, the Angels got blown out, I believe, 8-1 to here at T-Mobile. Thank God it was the only loss of the weekend. But that day, they announced Anthony Rendon out for the year, getting wrist surgery. He came off the aisle out of nowhere, started playing against the Dodgers. Was like, what the fuck? I didn't think we'd get him back till after All-Star break. He came in. He tried to power through it. The team announced that they knew he needed to get surgery. They tried to power him through this year. He's getting it. Hopefully, he's ready by day one next year because we need the best Anthony Rendon they can get. The big thing for me, though, is if the Angels don't make the playoffs, I see Shohei Otani signing elsewhere. Um, why would he want to play with the Angels if we can't ever get to the playoffs? He wants to be great. He wants a legacy. And the Rendon injury basically killed all steam. You know, it was 1-1 in the Angels series at this point. I was just kind of... I was kind of bummed. I lost all excitement for the season. Um, the Angels made me feel better winning the series and Mike Trout hitting dingers every day. But brutal, brutal news there. Uh, Jack Flaherty activated from the IL for the division-leading Cardinals. Big news for them. When we look at the standings, the Yankees with 49 wins, the best record in baseball, 17 losses. They're 11 games ahead of the Blue Jays, 13 ahead of the Rays, and 13 and a half of the Red Sox. In the AL Central, the Twins are a game ahead of the Guardians. The Guardians have been hot, winning 8 of 2 in their last 10. And they are 5 ahead of the White Sox, who are still, you know, borderline 500. In the AL West, the Astros are 9.5 ahead of the Angels. Um, the Ath or the Rangers are a half a game back. All three of those teams, 5-5 five and five in their last 10. So they haven't been hot. Uh, the Angels, 3 games under 500. Let's go. In the NL... The Mets five and a half ahead of the Braves, who have been hotter than anybody. They're eight and two in their last ten, and they are eight games ahead of the Phillies, who are right there. In the NL Central, the Cardinals and Brewers have identical records, but the head-to-head -head has the Cardinals up top. That's going to be a fun finish. And then the Dodgers take the NL West lead. They're a half a game ahead of the Padres, three ahead of the Giants. How about them Padres? Brutal news with Manny Machado spraining his ankle. I think he's going to win the NL MVP clearly. He uh, had negative x-rays, so hopefully he's back quick. But what he's done without Tatis and Tatis getting delayed has been massively impressive. I would not have thought they'd be performing this well um, with the team that they have. When we look at the playoffs, let's see. Wild card. Okay. Um, the Blue Jays, Guardians, and Rays are in. The um, Red Sox are a half a game back. White Sox, four. Angels, four and a half. Rangers, five. Those are the teams within striking distance in the AL. In the NL, you have Brewers. Well, Cardinals are winning the division. So, Phillies, two and a half back. Um, Diamondbacks, actually, only six and a half back. But it looks like the Phillies are going to have to keep getting on that run. They're four games over 500. Uh, but it's going to be an interesting finish in baseball as... There's some close races. There's some close races. We'll preview this past weekend series, starting with the Angels beating the Mariners. It was a five-game series, doubleheader on Saturday. 
I had a season ticket game on Wednesday. I literally was in T-Mobile for game Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, doubleheader Saturday, and Sunday. I'm a little beat down. Got to finish packing, get you guys this podcast, and go to Montana the 406. But man, what a weekend. I mean, game one, Mike Trout, two home runs. I'm already happy, right? The Angels win 4-1. I'm stoked at this point. I'm talking shit. Come Friday, I like the weekend crowds because they're a little bit more turned up. You get some people, some Mariners fans, uneducated, talking shit. I got to fire back. Well, they lose 8-1, so I don't get to talk any shit. It's fireworks night. I get to bring my cousins on the field for the Star Wars fireworks. Pretty cool scene. Had a good time regardless. Um, You know, pretty bummed it's only 1-1 at this time. Saturday, doubleheader. Mike motherfucking Trout. Probably won four of these games by himself. He won the Thursday game. He scored all the runs. Saturday, it goes into extra innings. They're still pitching the mic. He hits a dinger. He's over 50 home runs in T-Mobile. Fucking insane. Um, Shohei Otani, tough, tough weekend. Real big pop-up flyouts, but never could quite get one over the fence. Um, that was the Negro League uh, Seattle Stillheads Day for Juneteenth. Really cool uniforms. It was a lot of fun. Stressful game going into extras. Then on Saturday, the the pitching matchups for the Angels not as you know sexy as they have Jose Suarez. On Sunday they have Kenny Rosenberg. Well, Suarez doesn't does enough. The Angels find a way. Mike Trout hits another home run, uh, basically wins the game. Sunday Mike Trout hits another home run. Rosenberg does enough. the The Mariners get blanked multiple times. I think they had five games last week with zero runs. That offense is struggling. The pitching for the Angels looks good. But is the pitching good or is the Mariners offense doing that bad? That's kind of the the, the interesting thing here. <clears throat> Stoked that my eight Halos get a nine-game homestand. Hopefully Trout can keep that momentum, get another MVP award. I'm all for it. But the Mets beat the Marlins 2-1 to one in an NL battle this past weekend. The Yankees beat the Blue Jays, two heavy big names in the AL East, 2-1. to one. And the Guardians beating the Dodgers... They're hot right now, ladies and gents. 2-1 over the Dodgers. So this weekend, we get some fun series. Mets, Marlins again, this time in Miami. Uh, the Yankees hosting the Astros. That's going to be a big-time event in New York City. The Guardians taking on the Red Sox. It's wild to think the Guardians are six games over 500. That's going to be a, an awesome series. Big NL battle here. Potential NLCS matchup. The Braves hosting the Doyers. We got... Uh, Brewers hosting the Blue Jays, little NLAL matchup. Angels Mariners rematch. They're battling for jostling for position in the AL West. Most fans probably don't care, but that's big for the Angels. Padres hosting the Phillies in San Diego. That's going to be a fun uh, uh, NL matchup. So we got some games. Things are dwindling down. The NBA's over championship parade today. NHL could be over tonight. Go, Avs, go. The Angels got some momentum. Baseball's hot. And in the NFL, Richard Sherman joining the Amazon Thursday Night Football crew. Minka fucking Fitzpatrick. Four-year, $73.6 million extension. 36 of that guaranteed. Helps the cap. We get our guy. What a fucking trade that was. I love him captaining the secondary. Love to see it as a Steelers fan. Elsewhere in sports, Sue Bird retiring what a storied career she had, kicking ass, taking names, living in Seattle. She is a legend. And USA Soccer, last international friendly for this year's World Cup. Hey, hey, hey. They draw 
against El Salvador, one to one. What a weekend, sports! UFC Austin, fucking NBA Finals, NHL. You love to see it again. Check out my shit on social media. I'm active on Twitter. Mention me if you want me to reach about or talk about something. You know, comment, like, let me know. Um, going to be baseball UFC heavy the next few weeks as we transition to MMA only. But UFC 276, your boy will be there. Can't wait. Check out FueledSupplements.com. You're trying to get summertime fine. Add some supplements to the game. Don't go to the big retailers. Help small business. That's what it's about. Episode 88 coming at you. See you next week from Montana.